well, and believe me, I, you know, I, I do do a relatively same amount of thing for a living, so I, I do know the kind of effort that you have to put in. So again, I appreciate it. <laughs> you said do do. <laughs> yeah, uh, there was a comment there. <laughs> Well, hello there, FC Dallas Curious Fan, and welcome to another edition of Third Degree, the podcast. Hi, my name is Peter, and today it is the normal trio, well, duo along, I always get that wrong, but it's the normal trio, I'm of which one, the other two would be Dan Crook. Hello, Dan, are you reveling in the fact that yet another English team has made it to the semifinals of a World Cup? That's amazing. Yes, I'm overjoyed. (laughs) <laughs> yeah um i didn't get to see the game today but it seemed like a great performance yeah, oh, well, t- you've, you've kind of stole my thunder i was gonna say i'm i'm calling in from the pit of despair where there is only a note that says michael barrio subbed off for santiago mascara in the 76th minute oh we'll talk about that <laughs> in plenty due time my friend uh and uh there he is your hero and mine founder and co-editor of thirddegree.net and the Dallas Morning News. Buzz Carey, come in, Buzz. Hello, gentlemen, calling in from Houston, Texas, where I'm working for the Gold Cup on Saturday. Well, that's unfortunate. Are you really in Houston? I'm not really in Houston, but I will really be in Houston tomorrow because oh. I'm working um, the TV for the Gold Cup. Oh, cool. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, guys, I know that there's hey, actually... We been... have jobs. Yeah, we. Yeah, I guess everybody does have a job. <laughs> uh, so here's the deal. Uh, there have been two games, and they were really totally the polar opposite, but I think the one that everybody wants to talk about is the really deflating loss, the 2-2 loss, as I like to refer to it. FC Dallas 2, Vancouver Whitecaps 2. Uh, here's the deal. I uh, elected to stay home and watch the U.S. game last night and I was you know probably 75 minutes into the FC Dallas game I took a peek on Twitter and saw that Dallas was up two nothing and then several hours later noted oh my god they ended up losing that game two to two what in the hell happened guys well that's a good question uh what happened was a lot of things um you know the kids if you will the younger players did not do a particularly good job of killing the game off um but I will say that uh, Luchi Gonzalez contributed to the problem, uh, as we've many times talked about on this podcast. Young coach, uh, you know, he's learning on the job in a certain extent, and he made some substitution mistakes in my book, and uh, it cost Dallas the win. Uh, there's lots of little bit of things you can talk about, lots of little mistakes, and when you include the coach, it, uh, it all compiled and it did not go well. But I should we should say that the Toronto game was fantastic, and the first 80 minutes of the game against Vancouver was fantastic. It was only the last 15 minutes that were a nightmare, and it was about as bad a meltdown as you'll ever see. Speaking of which, I've uh, never seen Lucci quite so angry in a press conference. Uh, you know, he walks in, nobody says a word, and he just, uh, you know, he gives he always gives us long answers and long thoughts, but, you know, talking about the disappointment, he, he finished, I'm going to ask the question, I asked the question, and then kind of, like, just of his own accord, just just goes sort of back into expressing his disappointment with the game and and failing to pick things up late on. Uh, it was it was interesting. It was uh, there was definitely a lot of of open self reflection there. 
Do you did you get a sense that he was mad at himself? He was mad at his players. What when you say he was the first time you'd ever seen him angry like that? I, I haven't never seen him like that, so I'm kind of can. How was that reflected in what he said? Um, in both himself and the players, and the players and the you know two twos there, but with the chances they had, it, it should have been four. Um, you know, in the when when they were trying to kill the game off late now late in the game sorry kill the game off late on went to a walking pace they couldn't pick it back up um in the taking barrios off at, at the wrong time just just a lot of frustration all around um it was really the it was very much a shared blame what is what you know again i haven't seen the game i've only seen the highlights and i've read a ton of comments and the if there's one kind of uh, consistent comment that is made and maybe it's because uh he ends up flopping onto the ground apparently not really injured and he gets in the way and and is a, a part of the problem uh, that results in the second goal. Everybody seems to have their knives out for Baji. And and uh, getting back to my point was the, the kind of consistent common complaint was uh, Lucci's bizarre thing about pulling Barrios off early and leaving Baji on for extended periods of time. What Do we have any idea what that's about? Or is there something to that that Lucci's right to do? Well, my assumption is that he's looking to uh, reduce the load on his best attacking player or better include Paxton too. his best two attacking players uh, during this time of heavy loads. He wants to not have them go 90 minutes every game. Um, and the, and the criticism of which I think is not necessarily a, a bad example. The reason I w- I'm critical of that particular sub is not that he took Barrios off. It's that he didn't replace him with a player that had a vertical component. When, when you, when you brought on Mascara, who's not a vertical player, uh, Vancouver was no longer forced to sit back. They were no longer to, forced to defend the counters with as much uh, focus and they were, they weren't, they had to, they didn't have to build from as deep anymore. It allowed them to play high and press high and put Dallas on their heels. So it isn't necessarily that you took Barrios off. It's that you didn't uh, think you, they, I'm sure that he came into the game with the idea that I want to get Mascara 20 minutes. And instead of letting the game dictate that he stuck with that and didn't adjust to the fact that I needed to keep the vertical guy. And the only vertical guy he had was Brian Reynolds. So maybe you're not ready for Brian Reynolds. I think Brian Reynolds is fine in that capacity. It would have been enough. And then by taking Paxton off when he did, he took off any possession player. And so for the last 10 minutes, they had nobody that could uh, turn and dribble out of pressure who could relieve with some quick passing or take a hold of the corner. And so you double compounded your, the two things you needed (laughs) to be able to kill off a game and took them both out of the game. So that's where some of the criticism comes in with Lucci. Now I want to say something about Baji because he actually had three shots in the game, which is pretty good. Uh, they all three of them were on goal, which is really good for Baji. Um, but it is true that in that last moment, and by the way, he was one of only five mistakes on that last play. Uh, there was sort of a challenge and he got lost out on the challenge and got whacked a little bit and went down rather than fighting through it, you know, trying to get the play and stayed down. And they ended up scoring with him still on the ground. So he was one of the five mistakes that led to the second goal. So it's not all on Baji, but that was not a good look from Baji for sure. I'd probably call it six mistakes. Uh, and then uh, when I read the breakdown, um, I, I thought that Gonzalez kind of got himself tied up. He couldn't figure out which hand he was trying to lead with. And instead, his hands just stayed right in front of his chest. Yeah, you, that's valid. But, you know, between Baji and 
Uh, Ja'Cory Hayes not closing down, and Savania's clear. Uh, instead yeah. of clearing to the wide open Mascara, he clears it upfield where Frey is under pressure, and then Frey is lackadaisical and doesn't challenge for the ball and win it. And then Castillo, uh, Castillo overruns and allows the guy to turn back and shoot, and then uh, Jesus is blocked and can't see and gets his hands wrong, as you say. And so five, six mistakes, whatever. Baji was only the most visible one, though, because he laid on the ground in the last 10 minutes yeah. of the game, which is inexcusable, frankly, as far as I'm concerned. I mean, the thing is, you could say with him, he was gassed. He should have been he out was. of the game at that point. But then he takes, you know, uh, I can't remember what the play, which player it was, but he leads with the shoulder and towards the chest. And Baji looks for the foul. And it's like, you didn't get it. Play continued. Just get the hell up. Yeah. So, uh, you know, when I saw the result and read some comments and the reviews, it's pretty clear to me that this was exactly the type of game that we all agreed at the beginning of the season was highly predictable when you've got not just a lot of young players in their teens and maybe if lucky if they've turned 20 yet uh, populating the field. And uh, this thing that you mentioned earlier, Buzz, which is the fact that Lucci himself is equally inexperienced at his job also. Um, and, and while he may end up being a great manager, he is still a rookie and very inexperienced. And what you saw last night was, I, I guess I'm going to let you guys tell me, was it more about poor coaching decisions or young, immature playing decisions? It was both. Uh, you know, I think Lucci definitely made some mistakes and, and he admitted as a dance had admitted in the press conference that he was being introspective that and looking at himself because he felt like he might've made some mistakes. Uh, but there was definitely a component of uh, young players too. I mean, all three of the of Ferreira, um, Serio, and Cervenio, all three contributed to the the, the second goal. Um, you know, and and you can even look back and sandwich the great Toronto game and the mostly great Vancouver game. You can sandwich those two things between this ten minute meltdown and the Open Cup meltdown, which is also you know to go back a week and a half, which is also a sign of a young team. So. Um, you know, again, this it's it's not a roller coaster. The team's a roller coaster, but we try to be level-headed about these things. Sometimes they play great. Sometimes they play really badly. They happen to have done them in very short order in this last game and a half and, and going back to the New Mexico game, too. So uh, volatile team, young team, up and down. It's just the way it's going to be. But, you know, clearly some mistakes happen, both coaching and playing-wise. And, and, and to their credit, both the coach and all the players involved afterwards talked about Okay, we got to go to the tape. We got to learn from this. We got to we got to take this and build on it, use it in a positive way, even though we know it's a terrible moment, you know, and try and get better. So that's that's good to hear. Yeah, I, and and we'll talk. Well, I'm trying to figure out what order I want to do this in, but let's since we've dwelled on the negative, let's let's focus and and enjoy and bathe in the positive, which is the return of Paxton Pomacall, who uh, when I went to the game on Saturday, man, I just loved so much watching him play for this team and 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 succeed. Uh, I just there were several moments in the game against Toronto where he just fought through like essentially what were second degree felony assaults and just kept on going and making and completing wonderful passes. And it just brought such a a smile to my face. He really fundamentally is without question, the best player on this team, despite being 19 years old. Yeah. I think they're up now to, uh, I think it's six, two and two with, with Paxton uh, playing compared to when he's gone. It's a remarkable difference. Uh, And it's, it's his, his energy is infectious. His uh, defensive effort out of a 10 is ridiculous. You know, he's forechecking, as I like to call it, and creating turnovers in the offensive third. 
Um, you know, he, he has an explosive uh, first step with, with the ball at his feet that creates space. He's got a real knack for nipping in behind guys and are not paying attention and stealing the ball. Um, you know, everything about that he's doing is a joy to watch. You know, at, the team struggled to break down Vancouver when they were in that low block for the whole first half. And, and again, young players are struggling to figure that part out. But um, having Paxton back, it's just night and day how much better this team is with him in the lineup. I mean, there was a there was a concern at the end there, uh, that kind of horror challenge. Uh, you know, in the locker room, he was in a in a boot, uh, albeit you know that's best precautionary just in case there is any kind of swelling or anything. There was a little bit of attention to his ankle, but you know, I asked Lucci, he said he's fine. Uh, I'm on asked asked Paxton himself. He said no, he's good. He's all good. It's. Uh, you know, they they threw a bit of ice on the boot on just in case anything's brought up, but he's he's fine. He can walk on it fine. He'll For anybody like it. myself who didn't see it, what was uh, the scenario of the tackle that caused that to happen? Um, you know, um, it was just like you know, for a minute they were ready in Hayes to come on. Uh, I don't know who Hayes was actually originally supposed to replace. There's a good chance it could have been one of the DMs. Um. Paxton is challenging for a 50-50 ball. He gets turned inside out uh, by a player showing studs to the top of his foot. Uh, kind of deal that, you know, occasionally breaks a bone in the foot. So, uh, if you watch the um, England-Cameroon game, the kind of thing, almost the kind of thing that uh, that Steph Houghton took at the end there that they reviewed for a possible red card. Hmm. Wow. Well, hopefully he's okay, and it's not one of those deals where he's worse than they're letting on, and he doesn't get to play uh, in oh, Portland. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That would be bad news. So, speaking of which, the team does have a third game in seven days. They travel away to go play in the shiny new version of Providence Park in Still Portland. Still a baseball stadium, huh? Still a baseball stadium. No, it's not. It's a beautiful place. You've never been, and I'm telling oh, you, it's, it's a, yeah telling you dan until you go there uh you can't slag on it in any way shape or form it's practically yeah, the most tough huh yeah kind of has tough yeah well i would disagree with you and i will tell you that until you go there you have no idea that it is actually the nicest soccer stadium in the united states bar none and i've been to some of the nicest ones so uh i will disagree with you you can mock yeah i'll back want. that up i think it's the best soccer venue in this country too and, and, and that's given the fact that i hate turf Thankfully, uh, I guess they're going to go grass at some point soon, so that'll be good. But the venue itself is amazing. Uh, all right. So uh, what do we think? Uh, is there anything to talk about worth spending time on in previewing this game? I mean, I don't, I'm assuming it'll end up being the same 11, or is there s- some surprise that Lucci's going to have to break out hoping to give some people some rest? Well, there. I have two thoughts about that. Um, the first is I actually think that on the road, I think Ja'Cory Hayes is likely to replace Brandon Cervinia. Uh, not that I felt Brandon Cervinia played bad, but you're talking about going to, on the road and, and, and perhaps a more defensive mindset might be good. Um, the other side, uh, the other thing I think might change is um, with Baji, when you're sitting on the ground, when the goal scored from the other team, I think that's a, that's an offense that's worth getting sat down for. I, I don't know who I would say would go in that spot, um, other than the obvious examples are Mascara or um, Arangis. But um, I, I think... Despite the fact I thought Baji played pretty well for Baji, uh, that that thing at the end is, to me is is pretty sketchy. And then the other idea I have, which might solve this problem actually, um, is it occurred to me that there's a couple of times when 
this season when Lucci's gone into hostile venues where he thinks he needs to be particularly defensive, he's gone to the three or five man, as you'd like to say, Peter back line. Um, you know, and so I think there's actually a chance, uh, and he might need John Nelson to get healthy to do this, or he might need to use Brian Reynolds to do it. Cause you can't use, cause Brisson has to be a center back. But you know, if you're looking at a Hollingshead, Brisson, Ziegler, Hedges and and Reynolds back five, you know, that, that might be a, a situation that, that makes more sense, like mm-hmm. he's done a couple of times. And then that also brings Baji off the field because you'd get Hayes and Cerillo in the middle and with Paxson in front of him, and you'd get um, Barrios and Ferreira up top. So I think that's a that's a viable option as much as it is just to say Ja'Cory Hayes, I think, for sure will start. And then other than that, I think that five is actually a legitimate option. So this will be the first time that Dallas gets to see Brian Fernandez in the flesh for Portland. How, do you think they do anything in particular to try to account for him other than, uh, you know, Buzz maybe playing three center backs? Yeah, I don't know. I think, um, you know, Portland's a good team and they've always been a good team. Uh, despite the fact that their record's not very good, <laughs> you know, the, the, uh, I think at this point when you're, when you're Lucci dealing with his team and his young team, I think the emphasis is going to be on what they're doing, what Lucci's doing, what his team is doing. I think that there's not going to be, you know, I, I, I don't think that Dallas is flexible currently enough uh, to be fo- fixated on what Portland is doing and trying to do some weird tactical situation get, other than the potential three at the back. This is not the same team Pereja had where he could do a bunch of creative, flexible, tactical stuff. So, you know, as, as, as much as it pains me to say it, I think at this point it's about Dallas for Dallas and, you know, and, 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 and let's get ourselves back on the same page and let's recover from this meltdown and just try and play good, consistent soccer. It's interesting because Fernandez is relatively new to the team and Portland's so bad. He's already second on the teams and goals scored with five. Um, but to your point, point I you know there's an interesting side story we haven't talked about yet because really the defensive anchor for this team uh from the midfield has been Grezo who I think we can all agree now we may will we may have already seen his last game in an FC Dallas shirt as all of the rumors really heated up and oh look who was right he's going back to Germany yeah Peter you were Nostradamus on that one for sure I you know we talked about uh, I actually thought he'd never come back to this season, but once he was here, it seemed like the writing's been on the wall for about a month, and you 100% called it correctly that uh, he's going to Germany, which now terrifies me that Barros is going to Cholos, so hopefully that's not <laughs> happening. But. Yeah, I'm really <laughs> hoping I'm not right about that, but yeah. I've got a really weird feeling I am. Oh, Lee. I, you know, when they took him out of the game, Barros, that is, you immediately saw what a big impact player he is, uh, you know, just as much as Paxton, frankly, and um, uh, that, that'll that be a big loss. Um, you know, I Obviously, wing was already a concern, so now maybe there's even more emphasis why, they, why we think they're going to get another wing if Barros really is, though. Oh, my gosh. The guy leaving. There's no signs of that, by the way. I've not seen any reports of him leaving, but you know, it's definitely a concern that it could be him. I'm still uh, thinking it might be Thomas Roberts, but you know, it's Thomas Roberts. Uh, but uh, Tommy Pooh, but um, not that I don't love Thomas Roberts. I just, I just, all the signs point to that one for me, but um, you know, we'll see. In the meantime, uh, Edwin Sarrio has done a pretty good job other than the last five, 10 minutes of this game of replacing him. Um, and he's actually capable of playing a single pivot and not just a double like they've been doing in the last couple of games. But I think Lucci's probably with, with three teenagers in there, he's probably thinking the double pivots a better call at this point. 
Uh, yeah, I just uh, do think uh, potentially labeling uh, Portland based off their league position is a little bit uh, kind of unfair on them. You know, uh, having to start with that incredibly long road trip. Um, you know, they're they're so far okay. They're only three games in, looking good at home with Fernandez. They are looking like they could be. You know, right up there with LAFC as as the best in the league right now. Uh, Lucci said something in his presser actually yesterday. Someone asked about you know how anything affects going into Portland, and he said it's funny. No one thought we'd go into Atlanta and win, but hey, we did it. And as Buzz mentioned before, you know they did that by focusing on themselves, not the opposition, and just making sure that FC Dallas does what FC Dallas can do and. You know, maybe that was a that was a hint that, you know, that's the direction for for the Portland game. So if Grezo does end up officially leaving, and uh, what I can't quite figure out is where do you think Lucci lands on his starting center three on this team? Is it Paxton, Acosta, and Surio, or is it Cervania? And and what do you think that layout turns out to look like? Well, in the last couple of games, Surio uh, has been playing as the more uh, six, the more stay at home kind of player. And Cervania is the more sort of, uh, I mean, he's kind of playing, Cervania's kind of playing more of a six, eight hybrid. Um, so Cervania and Acosta will be going head to head basically for that third spot. There's nobody else ready to play as a pure six like Surreal can. And there's nobody else that can play Paxton's 10 spot. Um, even Arangi's there was just okay. So, um, I think Acosta and the Emma win that spot out. Speaking of which, um, I'm pretty positive and I can't find the documentation for it, but I'm pretty positive. He's actually suspended for Portland that he got a, um, that he was on the, uh, suspension. If you get the next yellow card and, and he got that yellow card in the game, he was leaving. But as we all know, you don't get to serve your suspension while you're on international dude. You got to serve it when you get back. So, um, I could be mistaken, but I'm pretty positive that, uh, Acosta is suspended for this game, which, which means that you're going to have to have, um, Hayes or Cervania in there. And I actually think it'll be Hayes. Um, he, he's played pretty well before Brandon came back. And um, if you're going on the road, a little bit more veteran experience, a little more defensive first kind of experience, I think a little more uh, uh, calmness, a little more reliability in Luigi's mind. Probably we'll probably see Hayes on there on the road. Yeah, another name that is starting to catch uh, some attention around the league, Bobby Warshaw actually highlighted him uh, in his notes the other day I noticed on the league site, is Brisson. And I'm wondering, is everybody starting to feel more comfortable with Brisson? I'm, I'm still convinced he's the new Jackson, but the red card waiting to happen. But other people seem to think he's really settling in nicely and putting in some good performances. I think he's better at that uh, level of, of uh control he's sort of adapting to the league um for sure when he's playing right back that's a hundred percent a defensive mentality move and it's related to the fact that when you got three teenage midfielders in front of him you know it's hard to put Ryan reynolds in there understandably um in the long run Brisson's not going to work out there because it's clear despite the fact he's done a better job uh going forward than i expected it's still clear there's fundamentally a piece missing in terms of outside back play and the verticality Lucci looks for in his system. Um, when Cannon comes back, it's going to be Cannon right away. There's no question. Uh, as I said before, I think there's a good chance you might go five with uh, you know Reynolds on the wing and Brisson as a center back again. But um, 
you know, I, I don't think Reynolds is ready, or I don't think Lucci is ready. I think Reynolds is ready. I don't think Lucci is ready to start Reynolds right now with this current three-man midfield. If you had Grezzo and Acosta, it would be different, but you don't. So um, Reynolds is left waiting, and Brisson is, and, and is doing a good job as a defensive first outside back, which is weird, but... All right, so uh, they play on Saturday. The game actually, I think, airs at like 10 o'clock Saturday night as the team goes to face uh, the Timbers of Portland and all their tree stuff. They're big They're big into the tree theme. Uh, Dan, you mentioned him, Reggie Cannon. Now, the game I did watch on Wednesday was the U.S. men's national team win over Panama, which Reggie started. And I got to tell you, I was pretty proud of the guy. Uh, I, uh, You know, for a first start, I, that was his first start for the national team, wasn't it? Good question, boss. Oof. Yes, so. it, yes. I think. Well, it was his first start in the Gold Cup. I can't remember if it's his first. Well, that's true for sure. And uh, for the national, I can't remember if he had started a game before. Uh, I thought he put in a, a particularly fine performance. Uh, there are some uh, things that he's doing in the attack that I thought he did very well. I thought he fought really hard. I was really proud of him and his performance. I'm still really super questionable about the state of the team overall, but it was nice to see Reggie uh, put in a solid performance for himself. I don't know if you guys saw the game. Um, uh, it was uh, not super entertaining, to be honest with you. It was a pretty pretty much of a snoozer i think i didn't get to see the game but um reading a lot of uh, the reaction from you know journalists and fans a lot of people are talking up uh, canon as being one of the only player to give greg berhalter something to think about um you know with the potential of moving uh, lima to to left back um weirdly all the comments seem to then go on to the the whole lack of a decent six for the national team, and suddenly there appears all these mentions of Paxton Pomacol's defense is so good at ten. Maybe he could be a six for the oh. national team oh, now. No. Oh no! Please no! Don't do that to my boy. I want to. I want to see that sweet blonde hair bombing up at the attacking end of the field, not covering up the back four. He's Superman. He can do it all. Yeah, I know. I know. Yeah, I I would agree with that. In watching the game, I thought Reggie really stood out. Look, he wasn't perfect. He made a couple of mistakes, and there are a couple of things that I, you know, passes that I wish he had been a little more brave on or some opportunities to beat his uh, defender that he didn't do. But overall, I thought he was super solid. And, by the way, he was probably unlucky on at least two situations where a couple of his crosses just got cut out at the very, very last second. Um uh, so uh, kudos to Reggie and congratulations to him. He looks really, really good in a U.S. jersey, um, and I look forward to uh, seeing more of that. The other big news was on the game on Saturday was the debut of the pro start of one Ricardo Pepe. Uh, hello there, Mr. Dan Crook. You wrote a feature about him for MLSsoccer.com. Why don't you take this portion of the show away and tell us a little bit more about Mr. Pepe's great adventure? Oh God, stage fright's real. <laughs> um, yeah, six minutes for for Pepe uh, in the Toronto game. You know, I mean, they were they were kind of dead and buried. Uh, still had a couple of really nice defensive actions. Came back to support team. Won a couple of balls. Um, spread his passes about well. I mean, it was you know it wasn't unleashed to Pepe. You know, it will let L Trend take. Uh, take his run at Toronto's defense, but 
you know, baby steps. Um, so as you mentioned, I did a feature on MLS, uh, really just talking about how he how he came to the club from uh, from El Paso and and uh, you know from Lucci's perspective and Pepe's, uh, and then a little bit on on you know it's MLS. They always want to know what what's happening right now, so that kind of became the you know what's the goal for him and. Yeah, she was up front and said, look, he's going to spend time with North Texas SC. So, you know, he can still finish top scorer. He just needs to get that back from Damas. Um, but, you know, he's he's going to make the bench for the first team and they're going to manage it. They're going to look every couple of weeks. Is he getting significant minutes, not just sitting on the bench? Because if you're not getting significant minutes, you stagnate. Training isn't you know, the be-all, end-all of development, which is, uh, you know, certainly something that people may appreciate after the way uh, things went with Paxton the last couple of years when he wasn't getting on the pitch. Yeah. Well, you know, two notes that I'll take away from uh, what you wrote uh, on that article. One is I think people sometimes either aren't aware or don't realize that his entire family had to pack up and move uh, for this, for us, you know, at the time, I guess he was what fifteen when this deal started, or fourteen years old, and the 13. fact, yeah, th- oh, thirteen, thanks, uh, even younger. So his whole family literally packed up and moved all the way from El Paso to Dallas uh, to pursue this dream. And I, I, man, I just I admire that so much, and I, I think that's such a great story to see it turn out so successfully. But the the one part of the article that really grabbed me, and I'm still having a hard time digesting it and, and wrapping my brain around it, is Lucci assertion that if he was to compare Pepe to any other professional striker in the world, he picked out Lewandowski. And I thought, wow, that is a really, really high bar uh, to apply to a 16-year-old kid. I mean, he kind of, he put in the caveat of, look, he may not be as good as, but in terms of his habits, his movements with and without the ball and the technique and the fact that, you know, he's, he's what, 6'3", six, six Lewandowski 6'1", they're kind of Physically, got that that similar stature. Hmm. I, I know a lot of people also said, you know, Blas Perez. Uh, maybe Blas is a little more lightweight in how he plays the game than Blas than plays too back to goal for that. Pepe, Pepe like mm-hmm. uh, Lewandowski is a more go at you kind of uh, striker. He plays the high line, but he's not going to back you down like a like a you know an NBA power forward would. Uh, and Dan, also, I have to. Uh, bones pick with you on this article there's not a single mention of trains in this entire article yeah damn you, you dan you, i tried so hard to get them to run huntsman i was like you know I, <laughs> did they actually edit it out uh i didn't even put it in this one yeah, to be right. honest have they edited I mean, it was, okay but it wait, 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 wait they gave me 700 words and i could have easily done 1300 okay minutes. but my question is have you put the have you put the nickname huntsman in an mls article that you've written and they've edited it out or have they left it several times they've edited it out Really? Yeah. And the Dallas Morning News edited out too. Rat bastards. All mm-hmm. of them. Third degree doesn't. <laughs> yeah, thank you, third degree. Uh, yeah. yeah, by the way, Dan, uh, Buzz is trying to sell, sell promo hype shirts, so help a yeah. guy out, all right? Yeah, also, uh, buy those L Trend 9 shirts. <laughs> Just, you know, maybe get a Sharpie and make it 16. No. Yeah. The, the way this works is you write the article and say, uh, me, local media is so excited, one even capitalized on it by creating a nickname and selling shirts with it on it. That's That's how you pull that off, dude. 
See, that's 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 an interest story, human interest angle that your editor can't chop out. Yeah, but he'll we, be number nine do, soon enough. We do sports, not human interest. Oh, okay. I will say on the human interest, I was kind of interested in talking about uh, sacrifices with, yeah, with both Pepe and Lucci. Uh, and Lucci made a point. You know, Pepe came at thirteen. He came ahead of his family. He had to stay with the family. Edwin Cerrillo, same deal. He came on his own. He had to leave his family in Waco. His, you know, his family is still in Waco. Well, I didn't as know far that. As more. Wow, I as didn't far, know that. I think that anyway. But I they have something. Uh... That you know, they have a couple of guest families. They have uh, a house, uh, a house or two where they can stash kids that have a, a married couple who act as residency supervisors, and then for the older kids who are like with the 19s or North Texas SC, they also have a couple of apartments as well that the players can can live at. Yeah, that's what I was going to talk about. Is I just learned that this week uh, is that they have two houses that some of the younger kids live in and they have apartments that they the older kids live in dan sold my bit no hey, just, this, I, I it's rare that i told this grid. much okay no, no 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 i suddenly was having this flash idea that's you know what if one day we get this breaking story that the frisco police raided the fc dallas white house which is like the yeah. old dallas cowboys <laughs> circa 1993 uh michael irving yeah. emmett smith party joint yeah that would be awesome if the fc dallas had something like that i'll, I'll tell you that guys a quick be. story about peppy so i have a uh i have a friend who is part of the youth academy setup he's been uh, a part of that for a very long time uh, he knows this game about better than anybody i know uh, and he i don't talk to him very often but when i do i kind of pick his brain and say hey what about this kid and what about that kid and he's always absolutely spot on uh, about how they turn out in retrospect years later and he gave such a glowing uh, promising preview of Ricardo Pepe uh, I it really made me excited I said I, I said to him I said hey is this Pepe kid legit and he just was quiet for about two seconds and said he's completely legit and uh, if he says that I believe it and so I expect good things from Ricardo Pepe going forward that's that's pretty exciting now man, you didn't believe he was legit when I told you he was legit. no I no, I did oh, believe man. I totally because you were getting the agent fee yeah, it's true. I did. I did buzz, but you're also trying to sell L train hype shirts. So I wondered you, have, <laughs> you had a underhanded. That happened afterwards. Yeah. Well, or did it yeah. or, or did it buzz? No. Uh, come on. Uh, okay. So then the uh, thing I think I'll uh, ask you guys to comment mm-hmm. on just because it tickles my funny bone to no end is uh, North Texas also played a game this week and lo and behold, look who made his return and did not fail to disappoint one Christian Coleman. Yeah, he was uh, he was exactly what Christian Coleman always is, which was uh, good positioning, good runs, good game reading, got himself in the right spots, and then fired the chances over the top. Now, you know, it's good to see him recover, and he's a great guy. He's been working his tail off. He actually looked much better than I thought it was going to. He went a full 60 minutes. I was really surprised with that. You know, he's going to get some chances over the next couple of games to try and build towards like a 90-minute fitness space. You know, he's got a, he's easily got another month w- worth of work before he'll make a bench for an MLS game. But uh, Pepe's already making MLS benches ahead of uh, the Garden Snake. And now Coleman in another month's going to be making the benches ahead of him too. So uh, it might get real crowded on that FC Dallas striker bench coming up pretty soon. So Pepe's going to probably have to come down and play more minutes with North Texas, which is fine. That's, that's you know, cool. but uh, yeah, the Garden Snake's going to be out in the cold here pretty much uh, exclusively once uh, Coleman is healthy. 
Dan, what were you mumbling in the background? That's called progress. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The garden snakes progress. Yeah, I uh I, somebody somebody posted the uh gif of uh Coleman really making a nice move, chesting a ball down, setting himself up and then absolutely moonshotting over the bar and I thought that's my boy. That's yeah. what I that's what that- I that but, was a harder chance than people get even credit for. I mean, he, that was I, on his left foot. Dan, you're easy. absolutely 100% correct. But you, even you have to admit that uh, giving him a little bit of stick about that is totally a byproduct of every other really easy opportunity we've oh, seen him fart away over the last two years. It's just like Baji. His reputation is his own doing. Yeah, absolutely. Now, my question is, is does, you know, one thing Christian always had is that I always thought he was way faster than you'd expect. Does he look like he's lost a step at all in terms of speed? Well, he looks like a guy who's just coming back from a year out with a knee injury. I mean, it wasn't, uh, he wasn't noticeably slow. He already looks quicker than uh, snake to me, you know, so um, he's not a course 100% where he was, but um, I think it's just, he doesn't look like he's lost uh, any explosiveness. It merely looks to me like, it's a guy who's not a hundred percent yet. It's like, yeah. there's a difference between, uh, this is maybe hard to grasp it with, if you're not around pro pro players or not a lot, there's a, there's a difference between being a hundred percent fit and being a hundred percent game fit, of course, and having like a hundred percent mental, uh, mental subconscious mental recovery. It, we saw it most recently with, um, earlier in the, uh, what God was that this year, last year when Kellen Acosta was coming back and it was like, he was back in training and I was like, sure. He's healthy. Sure. He's quote unquote, a hundred percent. He was not, it's like, he was playing at about 80%. And that's what it looked like when you watch Coleman, he looked like he was playing at about 80, 85%. And as he gets his fitness back over the next month and builds that base back up, it'll come back. And I think he'll be exactly the player he was uh, before. And then we'll just go back to what we were doing before he got hurt, which was hoping that eventually his quality soccer uh, understanding and play will result in actual goals. Probably not, but we can hope. Yeah, I guess we can hope. We can always hope. Yeah. Uh, all right. So uh, the Portland on Saturday. Uh, let's see, I'm trying to think if there's anything else. Anything else we're missing uh, from the FC Dallas standpoint? Oh, sure. One other thing I wanted to talk about, Peter, was I learned this week, like in addition to uh, seeing Coleman's return, we also saw North Texas play a game where they had to use Michelle, uh, the coach Michelle as a player, <laughs> <laughs> and which was fascinating to watch um, because all the 19s uh, are at the developmental academy playoffs and or guys like Pepe are with the first team. So they were short bodies and they they actually used two academy players on the bench that aren't really academy players. They're actually premier players and they brought them along. So that was fun. Um, how did Michelle do, uh, you know, like a 33 year old coach, but you know, they, they got steamrolled that game, but it wasn't all on him, but you know, it it was a bad performance on the road and it was a bad situation. And, and Quill talked a little bit afterwards about, you know, this is the first time they've gone with this experience and they need to plan a little bit better for the confluence of, uh, the DA Academy games and, and a heavy load and, and not, and not having the MLS guys, uh, come down because they were on the road. So they didn't have Montgomery and they didn't have, uh, they took Thomas Roberts. And then and in the second game, they played Thomas Roberts as a six in midfield, which was crazy to watch. Um, 
which he did a pretty decent job of his, his long passing from there was amazing to watch. That was really creative, but specifically it made me wonder, why don't you just sign a guy for like a game, you know, stick him in there, go get somebody from Riados, whatever. Well, the answer is, um, if you're going to sign somebody to a contract, uh, it has to be a contract through November. So you have to basically give them, um, some guaranteed money for the end of the year. So essentially you can't sign a guy for just a game. It's oh. basically the answer. So, um, so if, if you're wondering Michelle. why they didn't, you can't. <laughs> so instead they use one of their coaches and, and, um, that you know, so sketchy. Yeah. <laughs> so in, in the UK, we have this, uh, thing in non league called a Corinthian contract where you pay a token amount, which is like a pound as they, as they're guaranteed money. And then you give them an appearance fee. Could you not like get around it with something like that? Uh, apparently not. Apparently anyone you're going to sign. And I suppose with Michelle, they must've gotten around it by using some sort of rule that he's already on the payroll and we're just activating him, you know, uh, (laughs) which is really weird. You know, they could have used any MLS player that they just sent down, but they just didn't, you know, and they didn't have any of their Academy guys. They brought in some guys that are from the, uh, the, the youth club, you know, to try and fill up the bench a little bit. And those guys got in, which must've been a thrill for them, but um, it's just a weird situation. And I think they'll try and work diligently to have one or two more bodies, you know, as they go forward and, and it won't be a bunch of a problem next year. Cause they're going to sign, you know, four or five Academy guys this summer or winter, I think anyway. So, um, yeah, I mean, they had what nine Academy players in the squad. Uh... Yeah. I mean, essentially they're using the, their U19 team for lack of a better term. Plus I got a couple of guys that graduated last year. So it's like, it's not, it's, you know, it, that's what it is has become basically. So it's just going to become a further extension of that. I just thought it was mostly interesting that you can't just bring in a, bring in a guy. I mean, MLS used to have extra keepers, Peter. I don't know if you remember this. They used yes, to they have did. two keepers had a pool that are signed to yeah emergency contracts that you can just use for a, you borrow them for like a week from the league. <laughs> it's just really crazy. Yeah, yeah. How crazy was so, it when Kevin Hartman was on the, in that pool? Was Fair. he? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. yeah, I think he was for a very short, brief period of time. It was very unstable. There was just two guys floating around the country uh, yeah. on an emergency last notice that you could have a goalkeeper so you didn't have to keep like a third one on your roster or a fourth or something. I can't remember what it was. It was it was extreme. It's just it was one of the very early MLS unstable uh features uh that people used to make fun of. Well, they even have guys that they've kept in camp, you know, that I thought, well, that's a perfect guy. They've had him returning all year. Just throw him in there, sign him for one game. But um, so you can't. And if you want to know specifically, like one of those guys is Mohamed Cisse, who we all thought was interesting in the preseason. Uh, apparently, there's some visa issues with him in terms of trying to roster him or else they would have by now. So um, there you go. Oh, and the most delicious rumor I heard today on the interweb was that uh, Emerson Heinemann is in discussions to sign with Atlanta, which I find interesting because he's still the article that's on MLS soccer doesn't mention anything about a transfer fee. He's under contract at Bournemouth until I think June of next year. So there's got to be some sort of financial consideration unless Bournemouth just hates him so much. They're going to let him out of his deal. Um, But Buzz, you were the one that seemed to pick up on the note that FC Dallas still has his rights. Yeah, well, like anybody else that comes out of your academy, and Emerson Hammond came out of their academy, you know, you have, for a certain amount of time, you have rights to a player. Uh, and as long expired? as you keep sort of, uh, you know, there, there's some maintenance that you can do on rights. I don't know the exact details of Emerson Hyman's situation. I did, however, wonder about it. So I asked somebody who would know, and their answer is yes, FC Dallas still has his MLS rights. So if anybody in the league wants to sign him, you'll have to trade with FC Dallas, just like. LAFC did when they wanted Shaft Brewer and all these other things. So 
you know, Dallas is in the catbird seat in a certain level where Emerson Hammond's a pretty nice player. Someone's going to want him. They're going to have to pay more than $5 to get him, I would think. So uh, that'll be interesting to watch that progress and see how that goes forward. Okay, so now I want to play out this scenario for everybody. First off, the look on Shellis Hyman's face when he realized the fact that the future of his kid coming back home is still somehow tied to Dan and Clark Hunt. <laughs> That's so delicious. <laughs> and I also want to play out this other scenario. Left winger, his brother owns his old home in Frisco, and it would probably drive Shellis Hyman nuts. Would they make a move to get Breck Shea back in Dallas? Mm. Discussed amongst <laughs> yourselves. Uh, wow. It would be a lot of fun. I tell you that, that'd be a good story. Um, I would say I'm going to bet no, that they would, they'll go for money and or picks, oh God, I but, hope so. uh, uh, it certainly would be, I mean, that's, that's the, the obvious answer is money and or picks, you know, grubber books, whatever you want to call them. But, uh, it would be a whole lot of fun if it were Breck Shea. I mean, that would just be delicious in terms of the story and the, and going out there and talking to him and see how he's doing and, and, and just getting him back in a Dallas uniform would be a gaggle of, of hoots. Buzz. Have you seen? Oh, it would be so much have fun. You seen Breck Shea play soccer in the last few years? No, I'm not talking about on field. Who cares about oh, that? I'm okay. talking about the story, the fun of it. I'm not suggesting they actually do the gunplay. I'm just suggesting that it will be fun if they do. The crazy art, the cornrows, the yeah, genie pants, the pig's head on the locker. Oh, right. <laughs> all yeah. of it. Awesome. All right, Buzz. I got a question for you. Uh, who okay. will be playing Dan's English lionesses? Uh, in the semifinal, will it be France or your United States of America? Ooh, oh, uh, before the tournament, I would have said France, but uh, I'm going to give the USA some credit. I think they've played really well, and they look like their their plan of dominant offense and sketchy defense actually is working. So I think they're going to. I think the USA will advance over France. Any uh, prediction on or hope on your part? Who would you? Who, if you had to play, pick one or the other. Which one would you rather play, Dan? Be the best you got to beat the best, right? So that's the U.S. Right. Well, but is there a position to think that you'd rather not play the home team, considering how much advantage that tends to give in a World Cup? I'd be more concerned about France's defense. Uh, I mean, England, you arguably have one of the top five centre-backs in the world. You have the best right-back in the world. You have a keeper who's playing at the top of a game right now. Uh which, you know, may shut Megan Rapino out. Um, France seems to be a little more, you know, more as a unit, I guess. I have no idea what you just said, Dan. <laughs> It'll be interesting to see if the U.S. versus France makes some changes in their front line because you could argue that uh, Rapino and, and, and Morgan had potentially their worst games of the tournament in the oh. last round. I think Rapino has oh. been bad the last not. I think Rapino has been disappointing the last two games, maybe the last three games. She had a fairly good first game, but everybody did against Thailand. I don't think she has been consistent yeah. or, 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 or I, I just, I believe I, I tend to go with everybody that thinks that Jill Ellis is going to go with her tried and true uh, tomorrow afternoon, uh, whether and that's going to disappoint a lot of people. The the big thing, I think the question is, who does she take off the field uh, when she puts Lindsay Horan back on? And you, you I, I know what's going to happen. She's going to keep Julie Ertz on the field and she's going to take Rose Lavelle off. Uh, mm. And that's going to drive that a was lot weird of in the last nuts. game too. But you when that what was? happened, when she took uh, Lavelle off. 
Well, I think Lavelle had started to disappear a little bit in the game, and I think she was really trying to solidify defensively, uh, uh, you know, try to get a little bit more midfield control. I, I do believe Lindsay Horan is going to help fix a lot of the problems we saw in the Spain game. She's the best player on the team, no question about it. But uh, is 80% of Alex Morgan as good as 100% of Kristen Press? And I'm, I think that's a debate you could make all day and night. Yeah, I would agree with you on that regard. I just think, you know, as I agree with you that uh, Roland Lamar on the left wing, I mean, I'm sorry, Rapino on the left wing hasn't had a good couple of games. So um, would she dare to take her off? Uh, I'd hate to see Rose go off. She's been one of the U.S.'s most creative players for me. I I think she's a big part of what they're good at. uh, And taking her off is going to make you a little more one-dimensional in midfield. I'm not sure that's the way to go. Uh, so, Dan, are you predicting? Uh, well, first off, Buzz, what's your score prediction? Uh, I'm going to go 2 1 to the United States. In regulation? Yeah, regulation. All right, Dan, what's your, what's uh, your I was score? I'm going to go prediction? for 2 1 in, uh, in regulation as well, with uh, at least two really controversial VAR incidents. Oh, my God. Boy, they really have, uh, uh, they've really set VAR back. Uh, and I, I do think a lot of it is the new IFAB, uh, the introduction of the new rules that IFAB instituted um, earlier this year. I, I think, man, I the way they've instituted VAR in this tournament has been really, really disappointing and, and frustrating for a lot of people. Uh, I, I have uh, already publicly predicted this, so I'll stick with it. I think the game ends 2-2. They go to extra time. And I think the boss, Carly Lloyd, scores a very Carly Lloyd-type goal to win the game in extra time and make it 3-2. That's what I think happens. That'd be exciting. That would be so American. <laughs> is it? Am I the only one that feels like that as the MLS season has gone on that the delays and restarts are getting longer and longer and longer because of the VAR, because the ref's standing and listening to the VAR and not restarting play? I, I but, thought last game was particularly bad for the speed. Well, the last game, the I mean, game. the uh, the first goal... You know, everyone was just everyone was convinced that oh, Barrios was offside. Let's be honest. Um, was just waiting for that. Was he offside? Was it? What was he offside? I never have seen a there definitive wasn't angle. A to definitive tell me angle, if he was or not. but the sideline camera certainly made it look like he was a good couple of yards off. Weirdly, uh, there was a. I mean, there was a poor question to the referee, and and he said the VAR did, uh, the the video assistant referee did not see any any offside infringement on Ferreira because a lot of people mistakenly thought Ferreira was offside or Barrios. Um, I think hmm, it... Fascinating. I, I mean, there wasn't a telling angle, uh, you know, because there's only a couple of cameras at, at the stadium. They're focused on the halfway line, that, that sideline camera. So it may have just been, was it a clear and obvious error that we can see for sure? No. Hmm. Yeah. I don't even mean like necessarily on goals. I mean, even like on free kicks, you know, or goal kicks, he's like stand the ref stand there holding up play while he's listening to VAR. And it's like, I don't, it's like, you know, the game, it, several people commented to me about it. I thought it's, it was particularly bad in this last game. It seems to be getting worse. Yeah. Maybe the VAR officials are getting more brave and, and voicing their opinion more and longer. I, I don't know. It's, it's a, it's an odd introduction. And as I, Wrote two years ago, it is the new normal, and uh, it certainly is that. I like VAR. I just the implementations just, just MLS and then especially this Women's World Cup are just uh, insane. 
Well, you know, a VAR is a concept, and I keep saying this, and I don't know if anybody else agrees with me, but it's a very binary digital tool for a sport which rules are, by and large, very analog. And and the way people historically interpret those laws is very analog. And, and now suddenly we're worried about you know, goalkeepers stepping off the line. Well, people have a point. If she's off the line, she's off the line. And the fact that it's two centimeters or two feet really doesn't make a difference. You're either off the line or you're not. Um, but that really changes the spirit and, his, and historically for a hundred years how this game has been played in terms of interpreting the rule. And VAR ruins that. So you think of the Rose Lavelle incident. What maddens me about that is the referee is in a perfect spot to see that foul occur. What she has the advantage of that you don't get in VAR is that she can hear the contact being made uh, between the defender and Rose Lavelle's shin guard. I suspect she can hear it. And she makes a very clear and definitive and immediate call for a penalty kick. And everybody's freaking out because now you've like looking and dissecting. And as I say, zapruding the film, you know, for a good three minutes, trying to watch it frame by frame and frame. And it just, I, I don't know. That's the part of VAR that I really, really don't like at all. Uh, and it just the, drives the part me I don't nuts. like is uh, the communication of it as much as anything, you know, we've 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 gone over you know the communication to the media and people on tv and in the stadium and those all lack so much but even you know what var should do um take the uh the penalty incident for the us i mean it was slight contact it was a foul and the first thing you're looking at is how much of a foul was it and that's not the emphasis the emphasis is did the referee make a mistake yes or no yeah, and, but then if you think about it, uh, either a few minutes before or later, they have clear video evidence of uh, Mega Rumpito. Have there's literally a player's arm around her neck, almost like in a chokehold on a corner kick. I saw that picture. And yeah. well, it was a full video of it, and it's like if that's not a reviewable penalty kick situation, I don't know what is, and I and I nobody can ever explain to me why they don't go back and call those I mean, penalty kicks. I mean, that's just, that. In fact, I would argue that's a worse foul than the one they called um, uh, for Rose Lavelle that gave them the the, pen, the second penalty kick. So, I, those are all the things that I think drive the general fan base mad. Um, is that they still haven't figured out how one how to communicate how they're making these decisions. Which, by the way, um, I am the president of. Make the audio live and available to everybody to hear what that yep. communication is. And two, they just don't seem to implement it consistently. And I think that's I what mean, drives everybody. They say it's the consistency. Uh, the penalty uh, the U.S. got, it was a penalty. It was, you know, it, it wasn't the uh, the harshest of challenge, but it was a foul. You got the England game yeah. where you had a. You know, a player's foot stamped on in the box, no penalty given. A player spat on, a player elbowed, and then another player stamped on. And all four of those, uh, all of those decisions came back from VAR, no foul, no nothing. Yeah, I I, I don't know, dude. I, I think that's uh, that's where I, you know, we, we have this concept of a, of a technology to help solve and spot things that, you know, the referee isn't at an advantage to do because there's only one mm-hmm. referee on the field and we 
and it, it doesn't get used. And um, I, I just I find that to be a, be a big flaw. Uh, it'll be fascinating in APL next year when the VAR official is the final arbiter of what will uh, be decided in VAR situations, not the center referee, which fundamentally changes one of the basic tenets of this game, which is the the center referee is the final arbiter. In the EPL next year, that will that, not be the case. I don't like that implementation either. I like the MLS, the referee still makes the decision. Well, here, I'll tell you the argument that was made to me as to why they've decided to do this is because it they, they believe it will crack down on player dissent because the referee will be able to look at the players and go, don't be- yell at me. I didn't make the decision. Somebody up in the box made the decision. And I do think there's an element of goal line technology mentality behind that, which is, well, I can't yell at him. He didn't make the decision. Still, Somebody else did. You know, I, I can't argue with when, the computer. Kind when of thing. it's goal line technology. And not like they used to, dude. You that that died that has died off uh, so fast the, in the comparison to the old is, days. The players surround the ref. Yellow card comes out. That's it. That solves it. Yeah, the year uh, that they actually made that a rule, it solved it, and then they took it back. I don't know. Well, we could. I missed that rule. <laughs> I have a feeling we're going to do nothing but talk about VAR endlessly, and it's just for oh, here, it's to, here the to stay. Cast. It's here to stay. Yeah, the yeah. VAR cast. We should uh, <laughs> we should register that right away. Somebody get on that. Get yeah. us a URL and and John Lennon's already a t-shirt. bought it, probably. Yeah. <laughs> Good for him. All right, all right. Well, thank you, Dan. Thank you, Buzz. Uh, good stuff today, and uh, hopefully, better things for uh, FC Dallas on Saturday. Thank you, curious FC Dallas fan. We will speak to you next time on yet another ye old edition of Third Degree, the podcast. Buy a T-shirt from the Third Degree store now. Mm-hmm.